Hey everybody, really good that we get a gather together like this, especially welcome to our, our first time guests, newcomers, welcome if you're joining us online. If you take a moment, share the link, let other people know about this service going on right now. You're joining us at a great time if you would like to know more about our church. We're exploring what it means to be a church of Christ and many of you, you know, uh, come from lots of different church backgrounds, but we know that, that's kind of confusing. With so many churches out there, it is kind of confounding as well and frustrating because you got to make a choice, kind of like going to a buffet, right? And, and you, your personal likes and preferences. How many people enjoy going to buffets, right? Okay, they're going away, so you got you to gotta get there before they're gone completely. I, I think, how many remember Old Country Buffet, right? Okay, uh, Sizzler, Ponderosa, right? The pizza buffets are gone too, man. I mean, Stevie B's, CC's, Pizza Hut, gone. The Chinese buffets, going away. I think like the only buffet left standing right now is Golden Corral. And the thing, it's great concept, right? That you, all you can eat for one low price, right? And, and that means you can load up on whatever stuff you want. Skip right over the salad, get all kinds of cheap cuts of sirloin and Short ribs and fried shrimp, you know, load up on as many different desserts as you want. Sounds good, but hey, I'm sorry if you're in the buffet business, but you know the truth on this. Quantity is not always better than quality. Come on. Uh, there's a lot of food, but it's been sitting out for a long time, you know. Uh, it's not that fresh. All the bacteria on the utensils. Uh... How effective are those sneeze guards, really? So, yeah, it, and then let's just talk about gluttony. I mean, it encourages all you can eat, like literally more than you should eat, and then all the food that's wasted and thrown out. So none of that's really cool. And I think the same thing is true when it comes to churches. There is a buffet of churches out there. You can pick and choose based on your own personal preferences and like, but let's be truthful. Quantity is not always better than quality, right? Should your choice of church be based upon stuff that you like? Like which church has the best music? Which church has the most convenient times? Which church has the best coffee? Which church has the least boring preacher? Because, you know, we get rated online too, just like restaurants. You know that, right? Preachers and churches, they review us. And, and that's what it's called when you go looking for a church. We call it church shopping, right? And by the way, I don't have my, my headphone mic today, you know, because the battery went out. So don't rate me on that. I got to hold a mic today and I can't use my hands like I usually do here. But it's like groceries get delivered to your door now, right? Home delivery, Uber Eats and, and DoorDash and church comes right into your home now. It's like, which church am I going to watch today online? Which one am I going to watch on TV? Which one has the, has the most popping band? Which one, you know, has the, the feel-good positive sermon that's going to make me, you know, feel all inspired and, and all emotional and everything? Well, there's nothing wrong with having preferences, but isn't there something more important in choosing a church than your personal likes and dislikes. How about the preaching of God's word that is taught accurately, more, more than just opinions and traditions, where you sense the presence of God's spirit. And I'm not talking about kind of strange signs and emotional feelings. I mean the practice of godly virtues like love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, all those. And that the church is focused on the priority of Christ's mission of making 
disciples. I mean, you may or may not find everything on your church shopping list here, but you are going to find the Word of God honored, taught accurately, the biblical plan of salvation honored every week. You're going to see Christ lifted up here as Savior. So let's talk today about the kind of church we are as we continue in this series about our core beliefs, these essential unifying beliefs that Paul references in Ephesians chapter 4. So here we go again. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is in all and through all. And so we've talked about a lot of these. Last week we talked about being one church, one body, talked about the nature of the church, and if you want to go back and see that, go on our website, the Media Archives, or subscribe to the podcast. Next week, we're going to talk about one hope, uh, that uh, we have this oneness in our belief that Jesus is coming back, the second coming, the afterlife, but today we're going to focus on the one body today, and here's what we believe about the one body. The church is the body of Christ, whose members live under the new covenant, gather to worship and build up one another, and carry out his mission to make disciples. So in this buffet of churches, you need to know what kind of church we are. And we are not Catholic, and we are not Eastern Orthodox, and we are not even Protestant. We are not Presbyterians or Methodists or Pentecostals or Baptists. We are Christians only. Nothing more, nothing less. That's it. We fo- we're going to focus on that today about what it means to be a Christian only and how we want to restore the New Testament church. I mean, do you really believe that Jesus intended for there to be the multitude of denominations that there are today? Do you really think he's pleased with the division among the people of God today, with all the different competing congregations and and massive hierarchical structures and contradictory teachings? I don't think so. I don't think that was his intent at all. I don't think he is pleased with any of that. That is not the way the church began. Dividing into numerous denominations and fellowships has been the scandal of Christianity, weakening the church, wasting our resources, confusing the world. And that's why just before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays for us in John 17. Let's all read this one out loud together because this is important that we understand. Jesus is praying for you and me right now. Here we go. He says, Father, that they may... All be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. You say, what's the big deal about all the different kinds of churches? That's the big deal. Because in this confounding variety of different churches, People don't believe in Jesus. They look at the church. We can't even get our own act together and agree on stuff. And they figure, like, if they can't figure out what's right and wrong, then how am I supposed to figure it out? And they shake their heads and walk away. But aren't all churches really just the same? No, no, they are not. Now, it's true. We have a lot of unity in belief on the basics, on the primary beliefs about Jesus. But churches have a wide variety of differences when it comes to secondary issues. Yet we still gather together in an invisible unity of the Spirit, right? And in obedience to the Son of God. But what we're saying is we need to go back to the beginning and be like the church we read about there when there was unity in that first church. Just think, if Christians were united today, so many more people would become believers in Christ, right? There would be so much less wasted resources, duplication, over-churching of communities. There would be so much more 
and, and more effective missionary activity, that we would be a united voice to improve the conditions of society. So many fewer religiously divided homes if we could all get on the same page. But you know, this, this division is nothing new. Really, you go all the way back, and it was already starting in the early church. You already find the proto-denominations starting to begin in the church in Corinth, and so that's why Paul knocks it right down. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be, get this, perfectly united in mind and thought. My brother, some from Chloe's household informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And of course, the answer is absolutely not. Christ is the one who died for you. You're baptized into the name of Christ. It's all about him. He makes us one. So that's what our ideal is, is we want to get back to that. Why? So there will be no divisions among us. Why? So that the world will believe in Jesus. Now, it's not that everybody back then was perfectly united in belief and behavior. I mean, they got off track a lot of times. But it was a church that Jesus began and taught and led by his apostles. And when somebody got off track, they knocked it right down by sending them a letter. Saying, hey, get back on track here. Now, many churches today are what we would say non-denominational. They say we're not part of any kind of denominational structure. Uh, we're, we're an independent church. And that's good in a lot of ways. We, we, people are no longer tied to a church simply based on tradition or family history. But now churches are making alliances not on doctrine, but on methodologies, on preferences, on style, on missional goals. And that, that may be a healthy thing in some ways, but it also can be a dangerous thing in other ways because it is no longer based on a unity in doctrine and truth, but on just whatever preferences and whatever pragmatism happens to be working. And that's not good. That opens them up to all kinds of other problems. So you need to know this church is not part of a denomination, but I like to go beyond saying we're non-denominational. About three decades ago, I began using the term pre-denominational because non just tells you what we're not. Pre tells you we want to go back before denominations started to be like the first church we read about in the New Testament. And if you know your church history, it's a, it, you know, the long history of, of victory and setback, but the church has never been defeated by those on the outside, but it has been corrupted from those on the inside over and over and over again. And if you need to know what a church is really all about, you study the history and you see where all these creeds developed, all these innovations and traditions sprang up. You see where all these governmental structures evolved. And you're going to find the farther the church moves away from the original you read about in the New Testament, the more unrecognizable it becomes. So how can we be Christians only today? I'm going to give you three ways. And the first and most important is to make Christ the center of your faith. Because he is the center of our lives as God's son, our savior, our forgiver, our leader, our Lord, our master. And it's all about him. And we only want to be known by his name. Matthew's gospel gives this story of, of uh, this exchange between Jesus and his disciples. And he asked them, who do you say I am? 
And in chapter 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. I now tell you that you're Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So who does the church belong to? Jesus, he is building his church. He is the founder of our faith and he is the rock of the church. It's that confession that is the rock of our faith and, and church, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you believe that? That he is the Messiah, the savior, that he is God in the flesh who came to give his life, to pay the penalty for your sins, for your disobedience and disbelief, which earned you separation from God forever in hell. Do you believe that he paid for that on the cross and that he rose from the dead to give you life, to forgive you and to rescue you from all that so that you're no longer under the condemnation of God's judgment, but that you have been freed and rescued and there is no other way to be saved other than through the name of Jesus. And if you choose to follow him, then you turn from your sin, you repent, you turn to him and you bury your sin in the waters of baptism where you identify with him in his death and you leave it behind there and you rise up out of that water cleansed of your sins covered in his righteousness, filled with the Holy Spirit. And as long as your faith, your trust remains in him, you're living for him, you know that you have eternal life. You know where you're going. If you have not yet made that most important decision and the best decision you'll ever make, do it today. Reach out and let us help you with that decision. Talk to somebody out in the lobby afterward. Go out to the point if you're here on site by the main entrance or room C or D or any of the rooms. We'll be out there. Or just text your name to that number, 734-304-7248, or email us next at southpointccc.com. We will get back to you right away. We'll answer your questions. We'll pray with you. We'll set you up for a baptism or show you how to do it at home. But let's take care of first things first. Let's make that best decision ever because no religion is going to be able to save you. No ritual can save you. No church can save you. No amount of good deeds can save you. Only Jesus can can save you. Each of us has to humble ourselves and ask for that gift of grace that none of us earns or will ever deserve. And that's why we simply choose to be known by the name Christian. Hey, what are the names the early believers went by? Look in your New Testament. Do you ever find the name Catholic there or Lutheran or uh, Anglican or Episcopalian or Wesleyan or any of the others. No. What were they called? Very simply, disciples, saints, brothers and sisters. Eventually they became known as followers of Christ. They wore his name. They're in Acts eleven twenty six. Everybody read it with me. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. There it is. That's all I want to be. I just want to be a Christian. We're not the only Christians, but we're Christians only. I believe you will find genuine followers of Jesus in most churches and most denominations, but we're never going to unite under any other name than the name of Christ. That first Peter tells us if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. And if anyone suffers as a what? As a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God in that name. And just like Christians didn't have these distinctive names that set them apart from one another, neither did churches. They didn't have all these different 
names to, to set them apart. They weren't named after so-called saints. They just went simply as we're a church of Christ. We're a church of God. We're the household of faith. Like in Romans 16, 16, all the churches of Christ greet you. And that's all we want to be. So make Christ the center of your faith. Number two, accept the Bible as your only authority for faith and practice. Because it's key to understand why you believe what you do and why you behave as you do. What's your authority for that? And for us, it's just the Bible. The Bible alone. Not the Bible plus something else. Plus some man's writings or some council and committee's writings or, or some other kind of document or some kind of personal experience. It's what does God say in his word. We want to return to the time when the Bible was viewed as God's authoritative word. The Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 2. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, because they wrote the New Testament scriptures. Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone, holds it all together, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are that temple. And what is the foundation? Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, built upon his inspired apostles and prophets' writings in the New Testament. So we have no book but the Bible. So that's our big idea. Faithfully following the scriptures only makes Christians only. And you know why we put Bible verses on the screen. We want to make sure everybody is reading for themselves what God says. We know not everybody who comes in here or is watching owns a Bible or is familiar with a Bible. So that's why we make sure we get it on a screen so you can see for yourself this is what God says. An important thing to understand about the Bible is we are under the New Testament as Christians, the new covenant that Jesus brought. We are no longer under the old covenant that God made with the Israelites, the Jewish people. The Old Testament is God's word. It's true. It's accurate in everything it teaches. But Jesus came and brought us a new and better covenant. So we're no longer under the laws and rules that the Jewish people had through, through Moses. But that has been fulfilled and set aside. And we are obligated to believe and do everything that is written in the New Testament. And whenever the New Testament commands something, we're, we're responsible for that, but there are a lot of places where the New Testament doesn't command something, but it sets a precedent, right? Or an example, you know, like baptism. Baptism is a command. And so we practice that and we do it just like they did back then. It was by immersion and it was immediate. We don't have any right to change what baptism is. That's what it is. The Lord's Supper, communion. Now we're supposed to do it. Jesus says, do this as often as you do it, but he doesn't signify exactly how often that is. So what do we do? We rely on the precedent or the example that the early church did it at least once a week. And that's what we follow today. The New Testament allows a lot of freedom in terms of adapting to in, in, how to lead a church. But you certainly don't see authorized there these, these elaborate hierarchical structures. It's very simple. The church was locally led by elders, also known as pastors or, or overseers, and served by deacons. And in today's church, you know, a deacon may be the same thing as somebody on staff, like a minister or a, a director. So you have elders and deacons basically as church staff as well. Very simple, very local. And the church does need leaders who are called and gifted to lead. But you need to understand, we do not have a special class of leaders known as clergy. You can never say in this church, I'm only a layman, because there's no such thing. We're all clergy. If you were, we're all a royal priesthood. We're all called and 
gifted to serve in ministry. You're a minister in this church too. And, and anyone in this church can baptize. Anybody in this church can serve communion because those things that people tend to think are reserved only for this special clergy class, for fathers and reverence, that's not New Testament. In fact, Jesus said, don't call anybody on earth a father like that. And you certainly don't find anybody ever being called a reverend. Now, leaders should be worthy of respect, but we should never be reverenced, okay? Isn't that the kind of stuff Jesus scorned the Pharisees for, for that desire for positions and titles and prominence? Let's get away from all that. And you need to know that we're always going to teach the word of God here as accurately as we can. Not perfectly, because none of us is perfect, but we're going to try and teach it the same way it was taught in the early church. The message never changes. Methods do, but the message does not. But what I'm seeing today, more and more, is churches now departing from the faith, teaching more and more false doctrines, promoting ungodly, immoral living, uh, going liberal and progressive in their theology, getting woke by secular philosophies. And the thing, you've got to recognize the church is never supposed to be just a pale imitation of what we find out in the world. People aren't looking for another imitation of the world. We are the alternative to the world. We are the countercultural movement. We are the revolution. We are the rebels pushing back on this society. We need to be different from the rest of the world. And churches that are given up on that are going to find themselves in a bad place. And so our plea is let's restore, help restore the New Testament church. Because unity cannot come at the expense of truth. Have you noticed how politicians are always calling for unity and they're going to unify us? How? Very simple. Agree with everything they say and do whatever they want you to do. Then there'll be unity. Well, folks, there's never going to be unity in the church until we all agree to do things God's way, to believe what God says. In fact, Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2. Everybody again, let's say this out loud together. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Did you get that? One in mind, one in spirit, one in love. So many people today love to use the catchphrase, uh, our strength is our diversity. That is not true in the church. Our strength is not in our diversity. Our strength is in our unity in spite of our diversity. It doesn't matter what background or race or ethnicity or language you come from. Our strength is in the unity we share in Jesus Christ. Now, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is a day set aside to honor more than just a man, but an ideal of treating everybody equally, not judging people based on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. That's the way it should be. And that should be no more true and evident than in the church where the ground is truly level at the foot of the cross because we recognize that we are all equally valuable in God's sight, all of us created in his image, and all of us equally sinners in need of redemption. And when we recognize that, then that means I have a far closer bond with fellow believers whose skin is black than I do with unbelievers whose skin is white. That means I share a deeper connection with Chinese people who confess Christ than I do with Americans who do not confess Christ. That means my, my Hispanic brothers and sisters who bow the knee to Jesus are more of my family than my blood relatives who do not bow the knee. Do you get it? 
That's the unity we share. And I know a lot of people are seeking unity, but it's not going to happen by an ecumenical movement of merging denominations by disregarding truth and sweeping scripture under the rug. That's not unity. That's uniformity or conformity. It, get, it comes when we restore the essential beliefs of the New Testament church, the core beliefs. We cannot unite in error. And so an old motto that I think is very useful, if we understand it correctly, is this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Sounds good. I agree. However, don't buy into the idea that many have, have done with this and say, well, the only essential is what it is essential to be saved, that you believe in Jesus. That's it. And everything else is non-essential. Because, man, think where that leads. That means that you can do all kinds of ungodly, immoral things and believe all kinds of weird, strange doctrines because, hey, we're agreed on the essentials. No, those other beliefs are important too. And we need to try to come to unity on that. And so we strive for unity in matters of doctrine. We already have unity really in terms of our salvation. We're gonna go to heaven, but we have to have that same mind and agree on what God says and what scripture teaches. So we say, where scripture speaks, we speak. And where scripture is silent, we are silent. I mean, is it something that God has spoken on? If it is, then we are responsible to believe it and to do it. Just like we are saved not by good works, but for good works, we are not saved by having the correct beliefs on every single doctrine in the Bible, but we are saved for sound doctrine. We can have a lot of differences on things and, and we're still going to make it to heaven, but that doesn't mean or excuse that we can just go on believing whatever we want to. No, it means we need to be serious in studying and seeking what God's word says so we don't continue in error. But it also means where scripture doesn't speak on, on a subject that we have some liberty to Disagree. We're going to remain silent. Doesn't mean we won't talk about it. Just means that we're not going to teach an official position that that's what you have to believe as well. It's, it's not, opinions cannot be authoritative. And so we will grant liberty in matters of opinion. And we've all got our own filters and biases and we've been taught this and that. But where God speaks, we've got to come to an agreement on that. Where he doesn't speak, all right, look, personal opinions and preferences. For example, which tastes better, cherry or strawberry? Has God spoken on that? No. So it's, that's completely a matter of opinion. Let's get more church-related. Which style of music does God prefer for our worship? I, I don't know. I, it doesn't say anything in there. So a lot of liberty. There's no right or wrong on that. Or even let's get a little bit more serious about doctrine. Jesus said he's going to come back a second time, but he didn't say when. And so Christians disagree on that. That's one of those disputable matters that we have differences on. And we're going to talk about that one specifically next week. So while we can have our opinions on those disputable matters, we're not going to make them tests of fellowship, but we'll continue to talk about them with tolerance and uh, respect one another's opinions and treat each other with a lot of grace. But faithfully following Scripture only makes Christians only. And if you're somebody who is ready to become a part of this church family, I would love to have you make that decision today too. And a perfect day for it because we're offering a first step 
experience after this service today. 1230, right in the auditorium. Two hours where you'll learn the South Point story and be fed a free lunch and you'll discover what your next step is in your spiritual journey. We would love to have you join us. Just show up in here at 1230 or if you would prefer a later date, can't do it today, we're going to be doing it again February 7th at the Allen Park location. Sign up at events at southpointccc.com. But right now what we're going to do is if you are a believer, we're going to share in this special time called communion where every week we express our common unity in Jesus Christ, right? Because it's, it's all about him. And so if you're not a Christian, so glad you're here. Just hang with us for a few moments in these quiet times right now. Use it for some personal reflection. But if you are a believer, you're, you're invited to, to share with us. If you're not, remember, you can meet with somebody out in the, the lobby at the point or contact us in some way. And if, if you're at home and you're not able to, to share in this time together on site, grab some flatbread, some grape juice, or the closest things you have to it, and share with us together online. And understand, if you're at home, you can come in any day during the week and get some communion kits to take home with you. And if you're here, remember to grab a communion kit on your way in every week, okay? They're right outside the doors. But this is what Paul says we do when we take communion. We express our unity in 1 Corinthians 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation, you know, a community in the blood of Christ? Because that's what the cup represents. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, you didn't receive bread from one loaf, okay? There's too many of us to just have one loaf to share. So you got these little kits and you're going to peel back the layers over the bread and over the cup. And we're certainly not going to all drink out of the same cup together, all right? So don't worry about that. But when we do this, it does express our unity in Christ. And that's why we do it together. So let's use this time now for prayer and for thanks. Our God, we thank you for Jesus. He is our life. He is our core. Uh, our lives are centered around him. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring unity to your church, that we could restore that early church Lord, um, if there's division in our own church family, God, may there be uh, reconciliation, forgiveness, healing. In the larger body of Christ, God, would you begin to break down more and more of the barriers that separate true believers, whether they're racial barriers or doctrinal barriers. Uh, God, bring us to a unity in the truth, a commitment to the authority of Christ in your word. God, give us that same mind, that same spirit, and that same love for one another because we do this all for and in the name of Jesus Christ.